Welcome to the Friday Five, a series in which we cover five stories in health and science research over the previous week that you may have missed. There are plenty of controversies and ethical issues in science, and we get into many of them in our online magazine. But there are also lots of stories to be excited about, and this news roundup is focused on scientific work to give you a therapeutic dose of inspiration headed into the weekend. First up in the Friday Five, neuroscientists have learned how to detect Alzheimer's with a simple blood test. The major advance here was to figure out how to tell the difference between certain proteins in the brain that are linked to Alzheimer's and the same type of protein made by cells outside the brain. The researchers from the universities of Pittsburgh and Gothenburg in Sweden got an antibody to attach to this protein, which is called brain-derived tau. The antibody makes the protein show up when people's blood is tested. The technique worked in a sample of 600 people, including those who died of Alzheimer's. In fact, the blood test revealed Alzheimer's just as effectively as tests of cerebrospinal fluid, the tests that doctors typically rely on. These spinal fluid tests are much more invasive, and many people don't have access to them, compared to blood tests that are more simple and commonplace The researchers also found that the higher the levels of brain-derived tau in their blood tests, the more amyloid plaques and tau tangles were found in autopsies. The researchers could even tell the difference between Alzheimer's and other types of dementia, such as Parkinson's. Because blood tests are more accessible than spinal fluid tests or brain scans, the research team is hopeful that it'll pave the way to more people being able to get screened for Alzheimer's. The next stage of the research is to have a larger study with more people from diverse racial and ethnic backgrounds, while comparing the blood samples of people who have signs of dementia to healthy older adults. Next up, as many as 30% of war veterans have symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, with heart rates spiking along with anxiety, depression, and problems with both relationships and work. To help, psychologists often recommend a type of therapy that exposes the veterans to increasing levels of whatever situation triggers their symptoms, so they can practice calming themselves down. These are considered homework sessions that the vets work on in between meetings with the psychologist. But the Medical University of South Carolina recently looked into a promising way to take this approach to the next level. The researchers ran a study on a new device called BioWare that can be worn in these stressful situations. BioWare lets the psychologist join the veteran on these homework assignments through a small camera that attaches to the vet's shirt, a heart rate sensor worn on the wrist, and an in-ear Bluetooth mic. This lets the psychologist see what's going on in real time, including heart rate and stress levels. If they get too high, the psychologists can advise the person to dial down the intensity of their experience. For example, if they're triggered by crowds, the vet might hang out at a busy shopping mall for exposure therapy. But if they're getting overwhelmed, the psychologist can step in and suggest through the mic that the vet leave the mall and end the session. In addition to heart rate, the wrist device can capture aspects of the autonomic nervous system for more input into how the person is feeling. In the study published in the Journal of Psychiatric Research, patients using the BioWare technology had fewer PTSD symptoms and had less depression as well compared to a control group receiving standard exposure therapy without the new tech. Next up in the Friday Five, some people think intermittent fasting is a wellness fad, while others swear by it, and some even think it's going to make them live decades longer. In truth, although research does suggest some benefits, we still don't know much about how intermittent fasting affects the body. 
Researchers at the Salk Institute tried to fill this gap, publishing a study on January 3rd that shows some remarkable changes during fasting, albeit in mice. In the study published in Cell Metabolism, one group of mice got to eat whenever they wanted, while another group limited meals to just nine hours per day. After seven weeks, scientists saw big changes in the strict dieters, with 70% of their genes turning on and off in organs all over their body. Not just the genes in the gut, but also their brains, lungs, kidneys, and many other organs that aren't involved in digestion. Especially of interest was that genes in their adrenal glands and pancreas were affected, suggesting that intermittent fasting could play a role in balancing out hormones. This is important because a number of chronic diseases involve prolonged disruptions to hormones. So fasting could help prevent these diseases or manage them. Another key finding by the SOC researchers was that fasting helped the mice to have healthier circadian rhythms, or the daily cycles of biological activity in many creatures, including humans. The mice had expression in genes related to all kinds of important things like DNA repair, with most gene expression happening during the long fasts between meals and during the meals to end the fasting. The researchers say their findings show that fasting has benefits that could help with diabetes, hypertension, and cancer. I'm guessing that drinking more water might not have made it to the top of your New Year's resolutions. But according to a study by scientists at the National Institute of Health, we might consider adding it to our lists. And I'm actually going to try to remember this one along with the rest of my resolutions beyond January for a change. This research looked at an interesting question. Could a fountain of youth be just a regular old water fountain? Well, the research team looked at data on 11,000 people collected over three decades and noticed that those with lower levels of sodium in their blood had aged much more slowly compared to adults with higher sodium. And taking in more fluids on a daily basis is a great way to bring down your sodium levels. As opposed to someone's actual age, the scientists measured biological age based on 15 factors that have been linked to aging, such as cardiovascular fitness, functioning of the immune system, lung health, and overall inflammation in the body. People in the study who had sodium above normal levels had more cases of chronic diseases, including lung disease, diabetes, heart failure, and dementia. And on average, they died at a younger age. We'd need a clinical trial with a control group to actually say for sure whether drinking lots of fluids explains this difference. But low body water is the most common culprit for low sodium levels. In fact, 50% of people don't get the recommended amount of water, which is about 8 cups for women and 10 for men. And the researchers think their work can start informing people's behavior for a healthier 2023 and thereafter, and it doesn't have to be straight up water. Plenty of other liquids and even foods will hydrate you and lower your sodium levels, including juices, fruits, or vegetables that have high amounts of water in them. Next up, in recent months, you've heard me talk about research on organoids, which are tiny sections of brains grown from stem cells in the lab as well as many sections of heart cells grown in the lab to model what happens during heart attacks so researchers can test interventions. Well, not to be outdone, the National Eye Institute has now managed to 3D print eye tissue that can be used to better understand eye diseases and various issues that cause blindness. These problems include age-related macular degeneration, which isn't well understood partly because it's too risky to study this disease thoroughly in humans. Macular degeneration starts in the barrier between the retina and the blood, and researchers were able to make the tissues of this barrier in the lab. They used just the right ratio of two types of cells that make up small blood vessels, and another kind of cell that helps give structure to tissues. 
They mixed up these cells in a hydrogel, printed the gel onto a scaffold, and days later the cells developed into a network of blood vessels. Several days after that, they added certain cells of the retina to the other side of their scaffold. After six weeks, their scaffold was wearing fully mature tissue, exactly like what's found in the blood retina barrier. And they confirmed it was the real deal because it appeared and acted the same way in their tests. In fact, when they put the tissue under stress, it looked the same as this tissue looks in humans when they have early forms of macular degeneration. And the scientists saw that drugs used for macular degeneration were able to counter these effects in their 3D printed tissue. The team at the Institute, which is part of the National Institute of Health, is now looking to add more cell types to the 3D printing approach. They believe the tissue can be used to explore novel drug candidates for eye diseases. As always, you can find links to each study I've discussed this week in the show notes. And please check out the leaps.org magazine online, where you can learn about the latest and most important challenges and developments in science such as this week, an article on Alzheimer's prevention, and how various social determinants of health could be just as important, and maybe more important, than coming up with new drugs. Overall, the Leaps.org platform looks at innovations through the lens of rational optimism. You can find out what to be concerned about, but we also tell you which scientific breakthroughs are giving reason for excitement. Thanks for listening to the Friday Five, and have a great weekend.